0: Shipping Starlight presents My Heart and My Tongue, Autumnal Equinox, Anno 7. Do what thou wilt, shall be the whole of the Lord first let me express my absolute joy at this our anniversary of the first episode of Stooping Starlight last year. What a ride it's been. I feel so blessed to be part of this amazing production and to those sisters who have partaken in small or big ways I thank you with every fibre of my being and to those brothers who act as our allies another heartfelt thank you. I want to thank our Patreon contributors as well especially Micah, Harper, Jens, Dorothy and Shanley and Shelley for your continued support. Now, in this episode, we have two very special segments. The first is Sora Madimi interviewing Brandy Williams, who has just released For the Love of the Gods, a most brilliant and well-researched book on Theogy. The reading is A Laying On of Hands by Natasake Jange, and this one is dedicated to Mary Peck, Sister, You Are Loved. And finally, all the way from Women of Force and Fire, a live recorded Carasora with the organizers Harper, Nessa, and Ishel, as well as me, Sora Jimenez and Sora Madimi. And speaking of Women of Force and Fire, what an event! It's to be Starlight represented, and it was such a fantastic gathering of sisters from around the USGL, as well as a European interloper, that would be me, visiting to take part in the panel discussion. Now the organizers will release a book with all the talks as well as some other goodies so do keep an eye out for this we will definitely announce its arrival here on Stooping Starlight. For now again thank you for being here for our fifth show here's to many many more.
1: I'm sitting here on Skype with Brandy Williams. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about a book that she recently had come out called For the Love of the Gods. And um, first I want to, you know, introduce her with her bio. Brandy Williams has been active in Ordo Templi Orientis since 2001. She's the past master of Vortex Oasis, having grown the body from camp to oasis during her mastership. At present, she serves as high priestess of Anahata Rose Croix Chapter. Brandy is also an ordained priestess in Ecclesia Gnostica Catholica and celebrates mass with Vortex Oasis. She presented feminist Thelema at Noticon and frequently presents at conferences including Pantheacon, Pagan Icon, Theurgicon, and the most recent Esoteric Book Conference. Her latest book is called For the Love of the Gods, The History and Modern Practice of Theurgy,
2: Our Pagan Inheritance. So welcome, glad to have you here. Thank you so much and I'm so happy to be here. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed the podcast. And when I when I do Google searches, I uh, on topics that interest me, often the podcast comes up. So I'm really thrilled to get a chance to be on your show.
1: Excellent. Yeah, we've been we've been thinking about you know trying to find ways to have you on for a while. So it's nice with your book coming out that we have a little bit of an excuse to speak with you. So tell us a little bit about the book.
2: All right. Um, for the love of the gods, it's it's got three titles. It's got a, a main title for the love of the gods. Second title. The History and Modern Practice of theurgy Our Pagan Inheritance, and, and our uh, the um, reading title is Our Pagan Inheritance. So the first thing, maybe, for, for the audiences is that I understand that some people think of Thelema as pagan or are themselves pagan, other people don't. We are a separate religion from paganism, but I think that it will be of interest to our readers and our listeners because Theurgy is a really good description of what we do in Thelema. Theurgy brings us to the sense of understanding ourselves as divine, so it's a series of rituals and understandings that help us to understand the divinity in ourselves and i really think that's the goal of the thulemic system
1: Hmm. so theurgy is a word that most of us are probably familiar with but there may be some people who would not be familiar with that word or may not be familiar with it in the sense
2: that you're using it here could you say some more about that sure so theurgy describes both a philosophy and a set of ritual practices Theurgy is the philosophy that was generated by the Platonic philosophers at the end of antiquity, in the um, in the time when when paganism was sort of giving way to Christianity in the Hellenic Empire. So the pagan philosophers, the Platonic philosophers, were really concerned with continuing to keep pagan religion as a viable religious force. They understood that this was the way to to connect with the gods. So that's the the first thing. It's based... The the theory, the understanding of theurgy is based in Platonic philosophy. So that can be a little scary. <laughs> people, mm-hmm. people hear th- philosophy and they say, Oh, am I going to have to read? And the answer is a little, you know. Uh, it helps a lot to understand some of the basic concepts of the philosophy. And I try in the book to describe them in a way that's easy to kind of um, absorb. So that's the philosophy part. And we have a a direct connection with that philosophy people have practiced platonic philosophy from that day to this and i trace this in the book there's a direct line of succession of this thought and then the other half of theurgy is the ritual practices the things you do to bring yourself to the, the deities it came from the hellenic world so it rests on a base of what we might call hellenismos or Greek and greek egyptian cultural religious practice and that was separated from the philosophy in the move toward Christianity and and the validation of Christianity. So they kind of got separated out. The rituals are being brought together again with the philosophy today, and the rituals came to us in a different transmission. They came to us through the the rituals are, are described in the Greek magical papyri. We have some works, new academic works that translate those, and those spells that were done by Egyptian Kemetic and Greek magicians were um, were captured and, and moved forward in time, and they came into the medieval grimoires. So we can see that the practices that the Platonic philosophers are talking about, we find them in the Greek magical papyri. So both scholars and practitioners, and scholar-practitioners, are bringing those together today to to bring them into a single coherent system. That was mm. a long-winded answer. <laughs> I hope that was what you. Were
1: yeah absolutely and And that's one thing that i I appreciated having a chance to you know read a review copy of this is to look at the way that you managed to connect everything together instead of taking a bunch of disparate traditions you really showed how it was you know really um a set of practices that showed up in different forms in different times, but the essence of it remained sort of singular the way that you presented it in this book, and I think that that's sometimes a piece that's lost and some of the scholarship that's out there.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I have to say, too, that I am a history geek. I mean, I really adore reading about history. I go to the library and I look up papers. And it's taken me a long, long time to understand that not everyone is so thrilled about history. So what I did in this book, the first the first draft of the manuscript that I gave to my publisher, um, my, my editor kicked it back and said, I know I have to learn the history, but boy, this feels like work. And I really wanted it to be fun. So what I did in the book was to write stories about the people who had done theurgy, and how they moved it forward in time. So I do stories of the the Platonic saints, as it were. And then in between the stories, I, I do little bits of history so you can understand the context of the story. And that seems to be working. People really respond to being able to connect to people's lives.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I certainly did. And I appreciated um, the attention that you had in there to female experience, especially, you know, sort of the unwritten, um, the unwritten story of women who had, you know, maybe practiced these traditions, you know, ever since the beginning, but maybe had not shown up as readily in some of the books that, you know, that I had been exposed to. So um, I really appreciated that they were a presence in your work.
2: It was really important to me to be inclusive in this work and to include women in particular, also to to highlight the fact that this tradition originates in Egypt, which was Kemet, and that we owe a great deal to, to that tradition, and that's something the ancients say and something that we are beginning to sort of rediscover today, so people of color can feel very at home in this tradition and it comes from the the African wisdom traditions it also comes there's a there's a thread that comes in from India so again there's this entire entire civilization that contributed to the creation of theurgy and then it came forward in time through Greece and through the European tradition but it was important to me to that people can can really recognize that um, about women, you know, I, I, um, I really wanted to make sure that we heard the women's voices and that we saw their lives and we, we pulled those stories out. Um, I, it, Plato did not always treat women as, as necessarily equal. I'm, I'm, I'm reading some feminist analyses of Plato now, and I said, you know, I really should kind of mention that that Plato didn't always think that women were the equal of men, that they, they could think as well as men, but they could think. So mm-hmm. he was it was important to him to teach, and it's important in the Platonic tradition that women are teachers and can teach. And this is in contrast to the Aristotelian philosophical tradition where women are excluded. So uh, Plato sort of gives us an entrance to this.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. I remember, you know, reading The Republic and uh, it's it's been so many years since my ancient philosophy class um, in college where, you know, I, I read pieces of it. But I remember that the idea was that, you know, the, the women philosophers would basically be so busy being pregnant all the time um, because they were responsible for kind of, um, you know, passing things on to the next generation that they had very little time to actually philosophize. That's the impression that I got of it. And, you know, if that's inaccurate, please tell me so so we can uh, edit it out. But, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's, a, it's a problem that seems to be perennially human.
2: You know, and I think that it's very interesting that you were taught that, actually, and I'm sure that that, that is the case, that, that that was what your professor said. And I'm sure that's also true. Women have been the servant class for some time in the Western tradition. There are, um, there are women who have managed to find a way to learn. Um, Some of them did not have children or did not go into families. Others did. So there are stories of women in the book who had children and whose children were philosophers. It's less about the the gender differentiation than a class distinction. So one Mm. thing to kind of highlight about these philosophers is that they were all in the upper classes. So if you were an upper-class woman or an upper-class man, you had slaves who did that kind of stuff for you that gave you the leisure time to study philosophy. So it's, it's more of a class thing. Um, and then a, a bias against women. Aristotle said women you know, couldn't think. Plato said, yeah, women can think, but not as well as men. So at least women can enter into the Platonic tradition. So it was possible for women to be there. But again, you know, quite, quite a bit um, more focus on the men. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yes, yeah, it's it, it's it's true that there are not as many women in the tradition, but it's important that they're there, and I, I really love to to hear their stories. Also, we keep writing them out. I mean, we're we're still doing it today. We we do not remember that there were women philosophers in the tradition and that we should include them in the canon. So I have a book called The Golden Chain, and it talks about the philosophers, and not one of them is a woman, right? <laughs> and and there's an important link. Hypatia is a really critical link. If oh you yeah. Can the chain right if you you take her out the chain's broken so you've got at least one woman you've got to have in there Mm -hmm. yeah that's
1: that's interesting to see her presented in that particular uh position there you know i think that people have heard of her if they've heard of of any of them but might not recognize you know sort of her importance as a link in that chain
2: you know, and I want to call out um, Bruce MacLennan. He's the foremost theurgist of our day, and he wrote a wonderful book called The Wisdom of Hypatia. Mm-hmm. And it really makes me cry, actually, because he brought her work back. He imagines us sitting at the feet of Hypatia, learning from her as a teacher. So he's really reconstituted her teachings and reconstituted her voice. And I think it's a really important presence, and mm-hmm. it, it um, it's a wonderful work, and I, I call it out.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a really wonderful image there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to make a little bit of a transition towards, um, you know, we've talked about the role of Hypatia, the role of other, you know, female philosophers in sort of, you know, this this, uh, tradition of theurgy as it's unfolded over the centuries. What about um, women in Thelema, whether we're talking about the early history of Thelema or in the Thelemic world as it stands today? um, Where are we with that? And do you have any thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, that's something that's been really important to me. It's returning in importance, actually, as we are all beginning to have this conversation again. Um, women were very instrumental in creating the Lima, in the OTO, in in the order itself, and also in the Ecclesianusque Catholica, or the Church. We were the first Church, really. I think to one of the first Churches to have women bishops. They were called Sophia's, but they're still still bishops. Mm-hmm. And we, we've had bishops from that day to this. So when I, I started writing about women in the Lima, that was something that I called out. There are, uh, there are places today where, uh, there are religions today where women do not have the kinds of positions of authority that we do mm-hmm. in, in EGC, which I'm very, very proud of. Um, and then um, in the OTO, of course, women have always been... Involved and instrumental in, in creating the, the order, it was something that Theodore Royce. Um, it, it was very important to him to include women. It's a Masonic style order. We come off the Masons, but we are like the Co-Masons in that we include women. So I say that often. I often describe what we do to pagan audiences. So I'm really used to you know framing it in particular ways. Mm-hmm. But but this is this is important too. That um, anything you can do as a, a man in the system in OTO or in EGC you can do as a woman in the system. There are no, there are no barriers. With one, one exception, which is the roles in the mass, they gender. There's a thing the priest does and a thing the priestess does. Other than that, I mean, you, you act in the same way as clergy, bishops um, can ordain people, uh, priests and priestesses can do all the sacraments. So really there's, there's very much a sense that, that women and men work together in the system to create the system.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I wonder, I was um, thinking, as you said, about the, you know, gender roles and um, things like that. It seemed to me, and and I may remember this incorrectly, but I was at uh, one of the, I think it was a bishop's event out in Florida back in January. And there was some discussion there about the different sacraments of the EGC, the Ecclesia Noscae Catholica. And um, there was some discussion there about last rites. And um, administration of the last rites, and that should be done by uh, I think it was a female of a particular degree. I don't remember all the details of it, but I thought it was interesting that um, it seemed to me that there was some gender involved in that. But
2: I'd have to go look at the policy manual. I'm not I'm not a bishop myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Okay. So, um, uh, I don't remember that though. There are the the thing to remember too about our rights is that um, we're creating them, so. Uh, the, the people who are, the bishops and the the supreme and holy king are creating these rites now and they may write parts in for the rites like with the baptism but certainly anybody who's available can go if you've got somebody who needs last rites and you're the priest or priestess you know that that is available you should go and do it mm-hmm. I've done this I haven't I haven't done last rites but I've I've administered communion to people in a hospital and um and th- that kind of thing so. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we can maybe not stand on ceremony so much, but that's something too. We could also take back to our, our supervising bishops. Do you have a supervising bishop? mm mm-hmm, I do.
1: Uh huh.
2: Excellent. Yeah. So we should go. We should go bug them. It's it's one of my great joys in my life to go and ask questions of the bishops. You know, and, uh, and see see how they they feel them.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: it's it's an interesting thing, just a, sort of a sidebar about our bishops that they, they have a great deal of autonomy. They're not uh, they're not tied to a specific geographical location in America mm-hmm. in the U.S. U.S. Grand Lodge um they they can be anywhere so my supervising bishop is in chicago i think he moved to denver now and i'm i'm in seattle in the seattle area so you can you can work with somebody that you resonate with
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah and they may have different ideas too oh yeah
1: <laughs> yeah that was so one thing I I took that into consideration when I was choosing my supervising bishop. I thought, well, you know, the other people in our local body are being supervised by this bishop. And I figured, well, you know, some of them out there sort of have some strong ideas about things. And it would be nice for our team to be supervised by people with a similar perspective. But you could just as easily make an argument for the opposite of that, right? And saying, you know, it would be good to have different people in a local body supervised by different bishops so that they can each sort of bring a different perspective when they get together and work the Mass.
2: Yeah, that's it, and I had worked, I, I've worked enough with the local community, I've been with the community for, you know, 16 years now that we've kind of worked out our, our ideas, or somebody will come in and challenge them, and we're all like, oh cool, let's look at that. Um, I, I chose my bishop I, um, because he, he was interested in helping me with the books. I was writing a book called The Woman Magician, where I actually talked about the Mass, and the priestess's experience of the mass, and I was able to ask him to read that and say, you know, is this something, you know, did I say anything that, that you would feel that was inaccurate? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was really, really helpful to me, so I, I'm, I'm deeply grateful to him. Um, but that's something, you know, bishops can help you in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really
1: good point, and I was, I was glad to be able to have a bishop who's also a woman to be able to compare certain aspects of, you know, serving as priestess you know, with someone else who has actually served in that role. And, you know, some priests have, you know, tried out serving as priestesses. I think that more priestesses have tried out serving as priests, which, yeah. you know, may or may not be accurate. That's my observation. I think it's very interesting that um, women are more interested in sort of trying out the male role than men are interested in trying out the female role, which, you know, may say something or may not, who knows, but...
2: And, but there are a number of people who are members of what Catherine Berry used to call the all five club.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you know, but they're all private masses. The official mass would be one that that has specific gender roles. But in um, in private masses, you can do a lot of experimentation. And people people do, actually. And I want to say something here, too, about being a priestess and about writing about it. I wrote about being a Gnostic priestess in the book, The Woman Magician. Mm-hmm. And I also write about it in my blog, which is called Star and Snake. It's with the Patheos Pagan Channel. And I am one of the very few women who is writing about the experience of being a priestess. I see anthologies come out all the mm. time, and there are only one or two pieces by women. So I really want to encourage women to write more. You know, um, and I, I published women myself. I, I had a, I had an anthology called Women's Voices in Magic that I did with the Manian Press. And I went and got every woman that I ever wanted to hear talk, and I made them write. You know, and <laughs> said, "You must write for me." And there was just a lot of resistance. No, I can't write, no. And I said, no, you must write this. And I'm so happy that the book exists and that these these ideas are out there in the world. Mm-hmm. And I noticed at the last Women's Conference that some of the women took some pride in this and said, I was published in Women's Voices in Magic, right? So mm-hmm. I think there are two things. We, we need more anthologies. We need to, to pay more attention to pulling women out of the woodwork. We need to understand that if you put out a call for papers, you're not necessarily going to get flooded by papers... Um, Written by women because we just have this sort of um, reticence about speaking with our own voices. So it may take a little bit of effort to go and get those voices. So I want to encourage editors to make the effort, and I want to encourage women to make the the effort to write. And I'm happy to support anybody who wants to do it. If you want somebody to read your stuff, I'm I'm really really happy to do it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and having that sort of mutual encouragement is is very important. You know, I've thought about this this a lot. You know, the the lack of you know, the amount of women that are practicing this tradition, that are working the mass, that are involved at, you know, various levels of, you know, Philema inside and outside of OTO, and, you know, how few of them are actually writing. And I've I've wondered about, you know, what does that speak to? Does that speak to the fact that women aren't interested in it, that they feel discouraged from it, that they might be writing different types of content that they feel is not um, as as valued, for instance, as the types of content that men might be interested in writing. I'm not really quite sure what the reason is, but I would sure like to see um, more women writing things and publishing and, and getting their voices and their um, perspectives out there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it does take effort on both parts. I think all of that is true. There, Women who are not accustomed to writing may feel less comfortable with it and... It, overcoming that discomfort is part of the the barrier another barrier as you've called out is that women are often busy we just mm-hmm. for, <laughs> we're doing family you know we're doing the housework we we've got a job and oh by the way i've got to write something tonight you know it can feel overwhelming mm-hmm. so there's that that too
1: mm-hmm. but
2: it's important i think it's important for our voices to be out there i have an anthology of of works that is a set of essays about babylon and only there's only one woman in in the book
1: huh. <laughs>
2: That's unfortunate. You know, let's let's do it. Let's let's do an anthology of women's writings about Babylon because mm-hmm. I bet it's going to be a really different perspective. Mm-hmm.
1: That's really true. And and thinking about the anthology that came out several months ago, it was about writings about the mass specifically. I think there was it was mm-hmm. it was at least a hundred pages, and I think that there were maybe maybe two things, and they were written by women out of uh, at least over a dozen total pieces of content. Um, If I remember it correctly, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't exactly say. But, yeah, I think that was a little bit unfortunate. And another piece of it is the experience of being priestess, for me, has been very difficult to describe in um, terms that are, like, coherent and clear and sort of sharp around the edges in the way that, you know, um, written content likes to be in a community of people as brainy as thelemites. You know, Mm -hmm. so there's something I think intrinsic about the experience that it might not lend itself as well as something technical, for instance, that's written about, you know, all the different things that the priest says that are in Greek. And let's analyze that Kabbalistically, you know, in a very intellectual type of way, um, being a priestess is a completely different world.
2: And it may need a different language to describe it. I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that it may trend more toward poetry or toward imagery. Um, I don't know if you know Marie Lacrovan's work, but she writes poems that describe the experiences. And she, she writes in alchemical symbolism. Ooh. So you may need to, yeah, you may need to move into to more of those kinds of um, ideas, images, you know, um, to, to, to move the experience, to describe the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and I would like to see that type of work valued equally as well as the the scholarship, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. <laughs>
2: well, that, that may be true, but we can um, we can value it. <laughs> That's true. Re- oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I, I was I was agreeing with you.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm reading a wonderful book right now um, called "Searching for the Sora Mystica," which is a woman, Robin Gordon, wrote about women alchemists. And she's making a number of important points that are just like this, that we've dismissed women alchemists because we find their work in, um, in diaries or in um, recipe books, in cookbooks. And so we kind of dismissed this and said, oh, this is women's alchemy. This is just healing alchemy. And she said, no, it's alchemy. You know? mm-hmm. and, and we need to value this, this form of describing the experience as much as the men who have written the, the big you know books about alchemy. And I think this is exactly what we're talking about in our tradition as well, that we value, we can value the works that we write, that women write and the language we use. And a really good example is uh, Lida Chappelle's cookbook, right, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a marvelous book. And it's not just a cookbook. It's a, a book about the year and about how we can approach the Lima and put the Lima into our lives. So I think it's important to value the way that women present material and the voices that we that we speak in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that cookbook, because I've heard people dismiss it as though it's just a cookbook. Why would I be interested in that? I don't cook. Mm-hmm. But, you know, cooking is itself a magical act, and, you know, consuming food is an extremely magical act. And, the, um, mm-hmm. the,
2: the central uh, ritual of our church is a communion. Exactly. Which means it's about sharing food. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and alchemy begins in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> that's really true. I've learned a lot
1: about alchemy just in the process of, you know, um, figuring out how to make cakes of light and sort of, I have to reinvent the wheel for everything that I do to actually learn how to do it well. So that's how I learned to make cakes of light, you know, just, you know, came out with the verse from the book of the law and started experimenting with the ingredients and figured out, you know, how to do it. But that, you know, that was an initiation
2: in itself. It, it totally is. It totally is. I had a, I had a disaster. You hear my, my cakes of light disaster?
4: Oh, no. I,
2: um, I, I was trying to make leavings of red wine, and I had the bright idea that I would take a microwave and reduce down the wine um, in the microwave. So I took a, a smooth, a smooth clear bowl, and I put some wine in it, and I stuck it in the microwave for nine minutes, and I heard a boom.
3: Uh-oh. <laughs> boom
2: is never a good noise right but I, oh, I wish I had taken a picture I opened the microwave and it had superheated and little globules of wine were everywhere oh microwave. no it evenly distributed themselves in the microwave and I had that that you know must clean now impulse and cleaned it down before I, I, I thought oh I should take a picture of this so I, I do it on the stove now um or actually um I, I live with an alchemist uh Ted Gill and he will do leavings of red wine he'll he'll reduce for me I um, mean, he also does a, a formal calcination of the ash,
3: you mm. familiar with the
2: ash treatment. Yes. He has, yeah, he's, he's actually calcined, so there's really no organic material in it at all, it is truly salt <laughs> mm-hmm. in the technical sense, and then mm-hmm. I put it in the cookies.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to do it that way, I mean, I don't think that you can really call yourself an alchemist until you've had a few explosions, so to speak, and <laughs> I think that yours would count, you know, the microwave, boom, definitely qualifies. Um, fortunately, it was contained within the microwave, right? <laughs> that's,
2: that's great. Yeah, it's true. I know I know an alchemist who lives on a, a native reservation, um, and he lives well away from anyone else because here in Washington State because things do blow up. I mean, you, you're right. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: It happens to alchemists. Mm-hmm. It's really true. And I'm glad you mentioned the calcination piece, too, because I've experimented with that a bit with my, you know, uh, portable outdoor stove and uh, a yeah. little crucible and you know, just trying to get that cooked to as wide a ash as possible, you know, but um, I haven't seen a lot of discussion of uh, alchemy in general in the thelemic circle, so it's kind of nice to have a conversation about that.
2: You know, when I talk to women, especially women who are upline with me, who have been around for a while, they talk in alchemical terms, so I think this, again, may be something that's in the women's line, um, and there's something that Robin Gordon mentioned in her book, that she thinks that alchemy has kind of been dismissed in the same way that women's language is dismissed. We've dismissed alchemy in science. We think of chemistry as being the, the real science and alchemy was just superstition. And But, but women were very deeply involved in, in alchemy and I often talk to Philemic women who understand what we're doing, especially in the mass, in alchemical terms, mm-hmm. which makes sense. I mean, the, the whole um, red lion, white eagle thing comes from the work of Paracelsus, right? So um, it's a fruitful line of, line of discussion. I think we should do more talking as women about it. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. It's, it, it was something that I always struggled with when I was trying to work the alchemy angle was, you know, having a nine to five job and not being in the home for most of the time, you're not being in the house, trying to make all these different planetary hours and to constantly be present for long, slow processes of transmutation. If you're doing it in a physical sense was a bit difficult, but, um, that's a whole different discussion.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, again, one of those things um, that 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 was a class thing. You were upper class, you, were, you had patronage, you could spend all day in a laboratory. The flip side of that, though, is that if you didn't get it right, you could also get killed. There's some really kind <laughs> stories stories about people not making lead into gold and then, you know, um, losing their lives over it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's a story in, there's a, there's a piece in Women's Voices in Magic, um, How to Do an Anakian Calling in the Space of a Toddler Nap. <laughs> by good friends, or um, uh, by, by a woman, and, and it's a wonderful uh, image of what it's like to try to be a woman and kind of fit this work into your daily life, and how, how we have to make compromises to make that work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have any little ones to try and chase around, but I can imagine that that would that would only make things even more difficult than uh, they would be, you know, for for uh, a
2: life like I have now. Yeah. I blanked on her name because I can't say her her legal name. <laughs> uh, Sore Indi Seraphina is her is her um, uh, writing name. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's see. We've
1: we've been going on for a while. I um, have a I have a couple questions I'd like to, to ask you if we've still got some time. Is that all right? Yep. Yeah, please. Do. So we talked a little bit when we had lunch uh, at the Women's Symposium, and I, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about sisterhood specifically. We talk a lot about this idea of fraternity, and sometimes you know the, the experience that I had of sisterhood at that event was very different than the experience of fraternity that I've had um, in the order. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about sisterhood and if, if you think that that's something distinct from fraternity and, and what that might mean to you
2: yeah and it's a very very interesting question when i first started writing about feminist the Lima ten years ago there was a lot of startled reaction particularly from from women who had been around for a while I I don't see how this applies to me I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure that that I can enter into this and some women even told me I, I don't think I can support that and it's very interesting to watch how the conversation has shifted over the last decade I don't know if it's just that we kept talking <laughs> or or that there's been a shift in the culture but in at the last women's conference even some of the same women were overtly identifying as feminist and also really recognizing the need to connect up with other women i heard some women say i didn't really understand why women had to have this this conversation but it came because i heard my sisters needed me to be there and now that i'm here i really understand what it is that that you need and so i like I'm very teary about that, and I'm like, oh, thank you so much, sister, I really need you, you know. Um, uh, so I think there is a an increasing sense of understanding of how we can connect with each other and how we need to support each other moving forward, and there are a lot of reasons for that. We can just go to the what happens in the dominant culture where the, the culture is very much focused on men and on the needs of men, and we're in a really bad moment where we're noticing how... Um, how difficult it is to be a woman in this culture, how exposed we are to actual physical harm out there in the world. Mm-hmm. So just supporting each other in that sense is important. Supporting each other so that we can get naked on the altar, which is what the mass asks us to do. That's that's a foundational really important thing to be able to do. And Also the conversation that you and I have had about supporting our sisters in understanding that we all have voices and all voices are equally valuable and all ways of speaking are equally valuable. That helps move women to the place where we can speak as well. We can also um, take place in the public discourse. So, yeah, I think the the experience of Sisterhood is really different. And I think that it's really important. And I also really see that it's it's developing in the order. And I'm so happy to be part of that and so happy that this moment has come for us.
1: Mm -hmm, Me too. I'm very glad to sort of, to not just have, you know, one-on-one conversations about it, but to be present to it when it's actually happening amongst a group of women. And it's difficult to, to describe that in terms of concrete terms, but I think that anyone who has been present to that type of energy can describe it, maybe not in precise terms, but knows what I'm talking about.
2: Mm-hmm. And I I did quite a bit of discussion in The Woman Magician about the differences between men's culture and women's culture, because women are always working against the, the cultural preference for, for men and the preference to forget women's work. It's important for us to support each other. So you can have the solitary male genius and he will be hailed by others, but the solitary woman genius is very difficult to pull off. Mm-hmm. We We get to the place where our work is recognized by supporting each other. So it's more of a circle and that's kind of how we work women's culture we work in communion community with each other and I think that this is important and it's also an important leavening in the order we bring that back to fraternity so Mm
3: -hmm.
2: uh, we provide the understanding of how to make connections and how to create community and how important those works are and um, I, I think that that's that's an important contribution Mm -hmm. And working in
1: a collectivist type of way where it's not like there's a one solitary genius you know you might have a group of women working together where you know the end result is not you know a single writing by a single person but something that you know you can't really point to any one person and say that that they're you know they're the dad it's like we made this all together Um, it's a different kind of formula but it's pretty important too.
2: Yeah, I think that whenever you see what you think is a solitary woman genius, what you'll find is that there's a whole circle of women around that person. And that's when I wrote The Woman Magician. I did Women's Voices in Magic at the same time because I really felt the Mm -hmm. need to have a sense of community and other women who are working on the project at the same time. And I I love seeing when women um, do our own projects and and make book length works and and bring them out. Mm
1: -hmm. And that particular approach is identified explicitly in Crowley's work and is is explicitly devalued as inferior to kind of the male formula of the solitary genius so I think it's important to kind of call that out as a piece of bias you know and, and to, to point to it and say Crowley's saying this it's not accurate you know I don't That's buy it
2: yeah I don't buy it either and I also know there's something really interesting about Crowley's work that um, I don't remember who pointed it out to me that he often worked in collaboration that um, you'll you'll see that his works carry someone else's someone else's name in addition to his and the one i'm thinking about in particular is mary dusty mm-hmm. whose work is kind of devalued by people now but her work um uh, her, her name appears on one of his books and it's because she really helped help to contribute to it so he often felt this sense of spark um, from the people in his life not not just women although often women and those were the sparks that helped him to create that work so, while probably may not have consciously recognized it, we can see it in play in his life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all need a, an inspiration or um, a muse, so to speak. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, it, it, can be, it can be any, it can be um, a woman for a man or a man, and it can be a man for a woman or a woman, or it can be any gender, I and mean, it doesn't gender. Um, muse is something that in the Greek tradition kind of gendered, the, the men wrote, the women were muses or the goddesses were muses. But um, today I think we see that anyone can inspire someone else to do work. And I really love the inspiration that I, I'm getting from other women at this point in time and that we are working deliberately and consciously working to inspire each other. I think that that is really helpful and it helps to create sisterhood and to move the Lima forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the fluidity of, of the gender dynamic and being able to kind of, you know, use those terms a little bit more playfully and creatively and in a less rigidly gendered way than they've been used in a classical sense. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and there is one last thing that I'd like to ask you about or maybe um, bring up for discussion before we go. Um, we had talked a little bit about, you know, what the sacred feminine is and, um, you know, these uh, small groups of women doing work together. And we had talked briefly when we were at Women's Symposium, not at any length, but about the sacred masculine. And I think that that's important to discuss, too, because it seems as if, um, from my point of view, that there was a, a sense in which we've kind of rediscovered what the sacred feminine is. But, you know, there's a sense in which maybe men need to get together and do men's work together. And I don't know if that's happening. It might be. But it's hard to differentiate it from the old boys club, so to speak. What do you think about all that?
2: Yeah, and I'm always a little suspicious of the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine just because I worry that we reflect the, the traditional societal roles mm-hmm. where men are in, active and intellectual and women are intuitive and passive and contributing to men's work. I kind of worry about that. Um, but the sacred masculine is a very interesting concept, and I think the, the place where I go is a, a work, I'm going to have to remember who the author is, but the work was called The God's Phallus, Mm-hmm. Um, and his point was that we we think about God, Christians think about God, without having an actual body. So, if, mm-hmm. if God has a phallus, what, how does that work? How does uh, how does that um, what does that look like? And I think the Lima is a great place to do that exploration, where the phallus is a really important, both symbol and actual, um, actual physical um, experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, mm-hmm. and I think um, embodying the god, it, it, we we also see that in Thelemic theology that that Nuit is the the um, the goddess and is, and Babylon is the the earth, and then there's Hadith. So so Nuit is this you know the circle, and Hadith is the the point. But he doesn't really have a body, right? He doesn't have something that uh, that um, we can relate to, and the the idea of body. In, is inherent in in the female the feminine and intellect mind is the masculine so bringing that mind down into a body embodying the the sacred masculine is i think where we need to go because then it, it grounds then we begin to see that that we can relate to the sacred masculine and embody the sacred masculine uh, whatever our gender right
1: mm-hmm. Well, wow, that yeah, that's fascinating. There's there's a lot of pieces in there that I hadn't necessarily um, thought of before. Uh, I've, I've been fascinated by the etymology of the term phallus and just kind of looking at you know what what the root of that word is and kind of breaking it down in terms of um, you know what what the word actually means instead of just sort of linking it to a specific yeah you know, piece of anatomy that's only in a male body. Um, yes, but if yeah.
2: Your time with Lucy Rigore and phallus is signifier.
1: I'm getting there, you know I'm in grad school right now reading a bunch of things that aren't necessarily um, relevant to like the the kinds of um, psychoanalytic thought that I would actually really like to spend my time reading. You know I'm having to read other things. but once I finally get out of grad school, I will be able to read actual things that are,
2: you know, to me more worth reading <laughs> It's a really big conversation, actually, about um, about how women fit into Thelema, because we call ourselves a solar phallic cult. And if you think of the phallus, as um, Dorita did, as the signifier of speech, if you don't possess a phallus, can you speak? Mm-hmm. And I kind of drilled into that in the Woman Magician. So there are a number of ways to approach this. Lucifer did um, some some uh, definite, you know, uh, pushed against this this concept. But this is one of the reasons that I keep coming back to. It's important for women to empower each other to speak mm-hmm. and kind of move beyond those kinds of thoughts. Mm-hmm. And move beyond the
1: sort of dichotomous associations. I mean, even in Crowley, you'll read about you know the the idea of the magus and and you know the magus has the got his word and he's you know um, sort of projecting his word in this in this very masculine sense. Um, it's it's sometimes I'm critical of the symbolism of that you know and, and the history you know that. Probably goes along with that symbolism. Sort of wonder, you know, where it comes from, and you know, to what extent um, it is gendered, and to what extent it's using gender as a symbol for something that's far more abstract.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good track to, to go on. And one of the the first places I went is that I'm a mained, so I'm a follower of Dionysus, and maineds have a wand which we call a thyrsus. So you mm-hmm. get a pine cone and you know put a. Um, put a handle on it and, and wrap it with ivy leaves and then you go dance to Dionysus and this is um, this is directly this is a direct phallic symbol so I actually wrote a paper you know called um, uh, power and possession you know the possession of women's possession of the phallus and the rights of Dionysus mm. women did go and grab Literally grab male power and use it to be able to to do things at least once in a while in in Greek culture and I think that's kind of what we're doing as women in in Thalema. We grab that power and say that the phallus also belongs to us the power to speak also belongs to us, and there are other powers that we can embody that we'd like to we'd like to talk about that um, that are as important as the phallus and that we can speak mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: And, and it's one of those things, it's like, like any other right, it's not yours unless you reach out, grab it and exercise it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can encourage each other to do it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. This has been a really great conversation. I've, I've uh, had a lot of, of interesting um, things to continue reading on. I've had a lot of, you know, inspiration sparked. Um, anything that you want to kind of say before we wrap this up?
2: Um, I just really enjoyed this conversation. I'm so happy that you and Ella are doing this work. I think that it's important to continue to, to bring women's voices forward. And this is a great way to do it where you actually hear the actual physical voice. This is really, really exciting. So I, I just encourage you to keep doing this work. And I encourage um, women to support each other and for us all to continue to speak, um, to write, to create art, if that's what we do, and and to do the work and to understand our own power. So I, I think it's fantastic. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. and look forward to having you on again before too long, I hope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that um, you have a great night and um, love is the law, love under will.
0: I was missing something, something so important, something promised, a laying on of hands, fingers near my forehead strong, cool, moving, making me whole, sense, pure, all the gods coming into me, laying me open to myself, I was missing something, something promised, something free, a laying on of hands, I know about laying on bodies, laying out a man, bringing him all of my fleshy self and some of my pleasure, being taken full, eager, wet like I get sometimes. I was missing something. A laying on of hands, not a man laying on, not my mama holding me tight, saying I'm always gonna be her girl. Not a laying on of bosom and womb, a laying on of hands, The wholeness of myself released. I sat up one night, walking a boarding house, screaming, crying, the ghost of another woman who was missing what I was missing. I wanted to jump out of my bones and be done with myself, leave me alone and go on in the wind. It was too much. I fell into a numbness till the only tree I could see took me up in her branches, held me in the breeze, made me dawn dew. That chill at daybreak, the sun wrapped me up, swinging rose light everywhere. The sky laid over me like a million men. I was cold, I was burning up, a child, and endlessly weaving garments for the moon with my tears. I found God in myself. And I loved her, I loved her fiercely. Well, their will shall be the whole of the law. Love, love is the law. law, law love under, love under will. will. Hi, guys. Welcome to Karasora from the, the Women's OTO Conference Women's Symposium
5: 2016. What, women, what is actually the name? Women and
6: the Feminine, the feminine, feminine in, in the Lima.
5: Okay. We yeah.
6: have rebranded. We have rebranded. Yeah, and, and some it sneaks in, and it's ladies lady is a force and fire, and I think that was... It was you, Michelle, that said that initially.
4: Yeah, because mm. I wanted it to be about, I want to get past this idea that women are secondary people in the OTO. I think mm. most people that I still talk to sometimes outside of the OTO community still think of us as some sort of quasi-Masonic, male Masonic group mm. that just allows females to come and play every now and then, and that's not true at all. We are definitely in the forefront of what's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: let me just, to, to people listening, that uh, with me I have Sora Madimi. High fives. 90, yeah. And we have Ishal Baramke, whose name I've finally learned to pronounce properly. <laughs> and we have... Sister Nessa. Sister Nessa. And, and we have Harper Feist, uh, who Hello. is returning to Sleeping Starlight. We love having you here. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so we just wanted to... Have a little talk about why this has happened, why it's taken so long, and when is it happening again? Um, What have you gotten out of it doing it? Who wants to start?
6: So the seed of this whole thing belongs to Ishang, and Ishang should address this.
4: Well, right after we did our first local conference, I got it in my head especially after being on Facebook. I jumped on Facebook after becoming a body master for the second time at um, a necessity. And um, basically, uh, I was thinking to myself, wow, there's these women, and they feel a little bit disenfranchised about what's going on in the OTO, and they don't see women really, all the work that we really do in the OTO. They're not aware of it. Because I think there's a problem with women. We don't tend to like want to like show off our hats like the men like to do, or some men. I won't say all men, because my partner, Hunapu, he doesn't really talk about his hat. I usually (laughs) point it out before he will ever point it out. So um, I just wanted people to realize what is important. I wanted to start talking about women's issues. I wanted to talk about something because of age that Hymenaeus Beta brought up. That um, some of uh, Crowley, from Crowley's journal that he actually writes that there's 16 different types of sexuality, and how typically there should be 16 different kinds of masses, but he never got around to writing those. He only we only got one. So there's a lot of work still to be done. So. Let's start talking about this. Let's start doing this. Let's start talking about the other issues about women and Thelema and women's magic and what that is like. Uh, Nobody has written, we've got all this stuff about the lance. But what about the cup and the patent
3: Mm -hmm.
4: and that the woman magic that's there? So let's have that conversation. And get excited about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Let's have a conference. Yes, yes.
1: Have a conference. And let's, let's not get seduced by this idea that the cup and the patent are somehow passive and can't be something to be excited about. Mm. They can be very active. Uh, I, lo- I love I love
0: Helena's like so. what's the priestess carrying with her? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's on the patent? I like
1: that. They're still yeah. weapons. Yeah, They're weapons. You, you have the patent and you have the cup. You're armed. Yeah. Yeah. You can be armed without a wand mm-hmm. or a sword. Absolutely. You're still armed. Yes, as you showed yeah. today. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. Shakti's weapons are all the weapons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. So when did you come on board, Nessa? Um, I was the on-site chair for Notocon in Austin, and that happened after Sister Trisha began that work. and. Passed it on to me And during that process I I think um, Sister Melissa just Like looked at me And was like You're asking the right questions Because I had Worked in so many conferences In the past On a professional level mm-hmm. And so um, It was just like Oh <laughs> <laughs> I, I asked the right questions um, It wasn't Intentional It just was the universe Giving me a beautiful gift And so After Uh, Notacon in in Austin, um, I began the work of being the uh, my title titles. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They they they're hard for women, right? We we have Mm a as we've spoken about this weekend that it's it's a difficult thing for women uh, in this in this in our society and for our norms to uh speak about ourselves as um authoritative figures so this is a little little hard for me to do but i have <laughs> to say out <laughs> loud i am the U- u.s grand lodge conference committee chairperson yes. um, the
6: re- the real word is actually guru <laughs> 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 slash awesome thank you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um All and so, so awesome. this is
5: actually uh been I, I have had the joy of this being the first um, wonderful event that I have uh, had the opportunity to support sisters doing now this is interesting right we have a history of women running U.S. Grand Lodge conferences all of the conference committee chairpersons so far have been women and they are our biggest events and um I think that what I've noticed is that, I noticed this early on, was that the intention usually seems to be we want everyone to have a space for celebration of joy and beauty. And as long as that's been the intention, it has worked out so well beyond anybody's wildest dreams. And um, I just want to see that tradition continued in whatever way is in the vision of our sisters, and it is my hope, uh, brothers and our brethren who identify in any way that is right for their path or their day to take on the mantle and to continue this great work.
6: Mm -hmm. Thank you.
4: Um, One thing I'd like to point out (laughs) just because I want women to start honoring what they've done in the past. Mm -hmm. The whole thought of where the national conference came from was my brainstorm Mm -hmm. way, way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I got, I talked to Jimena Spade about it and he was like, I don't know, I'm kind of (laughs) scared that if we all got together, it might blow up and the OGO dies. And so I said, well, let's do it on the national level. Mm -hmm. We just got a Grand Lodge let's do a grand lodge conference. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I approached Sabasius and then the, the then EC president Jeffrey Price about it and got them on board. So, then we started talking about where it could happen. The only problem was I lived in a little city called Oklahoma City mm-hmm. and every hotel I approached about having the conference there complete was horrified at the thought <laughs> of all these hedonistic people showing up. At this their was hotel. Back,
0: this was back in the party days as well. Yes, so they were this probably right. Way back,
4: back in the, the nineties it was back in the late nineties. And so Akron, Ohio ended up being the first place to actually do the conference at. But we still showed up and it was an amazing conference. In fact afterwards I said should we do this again? And everyone's going, yes! Mm-hmm. So after that, every two years, there's been a national OTO conference. Aww, thank you. <laughs> yeah, You're thank you.
0: And on this, can mm-hmm. I just say this, this has to be the first of that same tradition. I think that this is a worthy enough um, meeting for sisters to be happening every two years. It really, mm-hmm. it really is, mm-hmm. and it, I think it should
4: just grow and grow and grow.
3: Mm.
4: Well, I'm hoping that we can convince our European sisters and brothers uh, oh, to yes. have one of these oh, in Europe, so. and I'd love to come mm-hmm. and speak. <laughs> well, well the thing is that we have, love that.
0: We have our Nauticon, so we have Otok, which is which is the general meetup for all European OTO members mm-hmm. of Minerval degree uh, and above. So yeah we're having a women's conference and it is happening Mm -hmm. and i really hope that we'll be able to do the same thing there and that it becomes a permanent installment Mm -hmm. for as long as it is needed Mm because i think this is just like a um it's just a tool to get us to the end of the journey where all differences have been erased and we have finally completed you know Mm -hmm. uh, this journey to for gender equality and then we won't need women's conferences. Then we'll just have big love-ins in the woods, you know. But yeah. until, <laughs> uh, until we then... We have those too. Yeah, we have those too. I know, I know. But, you know. Mm-hmm. But until then, I think this is something that needs to happen all the time. And I'm so mm-hmm. grateful for being here. I'm so grateful for seeing all this. Because it really gives me hope that we're not just some outliers podcasts. And so <laughs> and don't don't we need
1: more moments like this. I mean, yeah, there are five really. of us you know, sitting around this microphone mm-hmm. recording mm-hmm. this right now to be able to try and share this moment with as many people as possible. Yeah. And if we can have more events like this, yeah. we can do it in a way that other people are actually physically in contact with us, yeah. as opposed to just listening and sort of participating vicariously at a distance. That's it's so. much better when you can participate Right here and be able to look mm-hmm. people in the eyes. Absolutely. Yeah. And okay. cry
0: together and laugh mm-hmm. together and mm-hmm. dance together and <laughs> share. Oh, I yeah. mean and yeah. that's
1: stigmatized, but when mm-hmm. you really feel it, yeah. It's not s- it's no. it's a completely different yeah. animal. Yeah.
6: So so along those lines I wonder, Ella, if you would grace us with the with the briefest discussion of sisterhood. This is how, <laughs> this is your entry into the whole thing, right? Yeah. You wanted to talk to us about sisterhood. Yes. I want to hear you speak to it. Ah,
0: okay. So the the, the, the sisterhood thing for me is like when, um, ah, Tori Amos has this great song called mm. Precious Things. Mm. And mm. she talks about, you know, and also she talks about the Cornflake Girls. And I think mm-hmm. there's, there's, mm. this, um, there's this role I was saying to Lauren earlier, there was at one point, we were the people who stayed behind and took care of the killers together and made sure nobody Mm. starved to death. And that was a sort of a, that was an evolutionary thing that had to happen
1: washing machines were invented yeah, washing yeah. Machines were invented. i, I know, mean but it's crafts but yeah, yeah I was, but i'm talking like
0: twenty five thousand years ago oh you know. okay
1: <laughs> You're You're back like then we
0: we were a sisterhood because if one if we let each other fall behind you know if we forgot to bring one of the girls in from into the cave during night time you know, then then we lost probably the best blueberry pick, or whatever. <laughs> we had oh. to we had to look after each other. We had to have each other's backs. And I wonder at which point did it become a competition to uh, to step on top of each other to get some favor out of a s- construct that is built on oppression. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to talk about: is that sisterhood, when
3: mm.
0: and how we can build how we can build a, an, a culture of encouragement and trust, mm-hmm. an absolute sacred space between us mm-hmm. where we are not um, falling for the, the pressures and the, uh, the gender roles and stereotypes we're being pushed in. And I think the way to do that is to look at historical sisterhoods, look at the Greek women, we look mm-hmm. at the, the priestesses and look at the religious you know and also look at fraternities we have in like the 18th century you have a lot of female fraternities Masonic you know fraternities mm-hmm. and those how they have built their structures and I, I think we need to look at history and a seek to find that natural love that we do have because I think we do have Mm-hmm. and and look at Catherine yesterday you know we have this natural love to welcome and be warm and say well sure you know you want to come and pick blueberries with us that's cool mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and we will love you as a sister and we will take you into our cave when it gets dark mm-hmm. so how do we how do we make that a, a norm So that nobody feels unsafe in a discussion group on the internet so Mm -hmm. that nobody feels that Mm -hmm. they can't um, they can't be joyous about being priestess without being looked upon others for being proud or vain or you know
5: we have enough that's the thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there is love is Mm -hmm. not it does not have any boundaries Mm -hmm. um and so you know boundaries do need to be set though Mm -hmm. and and that's just to create safe space. Yeah. So that said, we, we're, we're kind of outgrowing our, like from a noticon standpoint, we're, we're kind of, notepo- noticon standpoint, excuse me, we're kind of outgrowing our britches. <sighs> we, ha- we sold, this sold out, the women's, uh, com- um, the women and feminine in Thelema sold out. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, Noticon in Austin sold out. That's a beautiful thing. So um, the inter- supporting the international sisterhood is something that I just can't wait to hopefully mm. be a Absolutely. part of in any way that um, that anyone needs and, and would just so much as ask for. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. There's also something, you know, that I've thought about a lot, and that's that uh, actually Ishelle spoke about it earlier, which is um, – looking at the people around you and finding out what their strong points are because Mm. i i have weaknesses Mm. and i need my sisters Mm. i love my sisters and i just like i will hope that i can get what i need from them i am just as willing to give of myself Mm. in any way that is appropriate and needed as well Mm. Um, so I think that's that's a that's a lot of it, um, and also you know that competition. I think it really occurred because we had to for so long as women uh, fight to find roles in business and society and government and religion in ways that were not previously open to us, but that we always deeply wanted, and all of a sudden society expected, and so you. What's gonna happen? You're gonna have alphas come out, and there we need alphas, yeah. and we need uh, alphas to be giving and to say, "I have, I have done this work," and um, you know, like one, one of the hats I wear, um, I've asked for it to be acting uh, as the title. Just because I want it to be really clear that there's room, hmm. and that I want to give other people who want the space the space um, when they're ready, yeah. And that that's I think I think that's what it boils down to. Is yeah. there there is enough? Yeah.
0: So mm-hmm. I have a perfect example of that kind of sisterhood thing and, and sharing and gu- and leading um, when the King of England <laughs> was. <laughs> <laughs> when the king, <laughs> when the king of England was uh, being crowned in in, in London, and uh, Sora Helena was over there, mm-hmm. and people are just thirsting for this knowledge, you know, we and we're like Sora Helena, oh my god, ah. and she says, and we're like, can we please, like, while she's here, can we arrange some sort of workshop on priestessing Because we have nothing, we don't have very many supervising bishops, mm-hmm. and it's we mm-hmm. don't have any older priestesses to lean on and she goes in the middle of the coronation and during so sort of in between breaking down temple and going and feasting she goes right all the women over here we're gonna sit down we're gonna have a mass workshop just impromptu i'm gonna sit here and you can just ask me any question you like and we sit there just just women and people who have priestess for 10 years and people who have priestess for one year people who have never sat on the altar but would (laughs) like to Mm. and just imparting all this wisdom that is what sisterhood is about. Mm-hmm. That is just, you know, sharing willingly of everything that we can.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: and sharing willingly of our knowledge and strength. And yes, we need alphas. We need alphas to make sure that there is purpose and there is like so somebody to hold the flag and go okay guys i think we're going this way do you want to go this way mm-hmm. okay i'll you know i'll go and kick down some stuff so we can
1: go this
5: way mm-hmm. um. <laughs> yeah, and and to help us mm-hmm. build safe spaces yeah
1: exactly mm-hmm. absolutely. and to kick out people who are a problem yeah in a very direct and assertive way <laughs> that sometimes yeah. needs to be approached absolutely yeah. I think a lot, of, a lot of that
0: needs to be, we need to stop being afraid of that. We need to stop being scared of, mm-hmm. of, of ruffling feathers. And mm-hmm. I love the thing about, you know, taking acknowledgement. My, my body master, who is a man? Uh, well. he, sa- he, said, he said to me, why don't you write treasurer in your emails? So, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and because I, I just sign it with Sora, HMS, uh, and then my email, and OTO.se. He's like, but you're treasurer. yeah think about that <laughs> is that <a laughs> title is that important he's like yeah it's important mm-hmm. it gives authority to what you write mm-hmm. and then after a while he's like and you should totally write like editor of Stooping Starlight as well because now people know what it is and you should be you know displaying that and <laughs> I'm like but I'm just me and it's
4: if we really need to start taking mm-hmm. a <laughs> lot more credit for what we do. Ownership. Ownership, yeah. absolutely. It's ours. I think pro- a lot of this problem comes from we've got this still, even though we're in the new aeon, the aeon of crown and conquering child, where both sexes are equal, and we're still stuck in some of the old slave religion mentality, yeah. that yeah. women are second class citizens, we shouldn't speak unless spoken to. We're supposed to be demure and stay in the back and allow men to be aggressive. And if we're aggressive, we're the evil witch that needs to be hunt down and burnt mm-hmm. at the stake. And that stuff needs to go away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say this, but even in a country
0: where we've got like equal maternity and paternity leave and uh, you know we're very liberated, blah, 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 um, uh, it's still the same. -hmm. We still need to do those things. We still, we still think we need to be pretty and have beach bodies and be pleasing and cook and be mothers and career women. And it, Mm -hmm. yeah, we live in socialist utopia, but seriously, we still have the same
6: issues with these gender roles that we can't break Mm -hmm. out of. So don't you guys, don't you ladies? Excuse me, don't you ladies, you women, you wonderfully strong, powerful women. Don't you think it's odd that we have a societal overlay where we're supposed to be demure and quiet and not bitches by any means, and yet we're the people who make the conferences happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's well, mm-hmm. talk about that for a minute. Yeah,
0: let's mm-hmm. talk about that. Why is that? Do we become like the housewives
4: of the OTO? Mm-hmm. We feel like that. that. Get shit done. <laughs> get shit done. I'm not exactly. saying that the men mm-hmm. does don't get shit done. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'll give a nice example, and I'm not trying to demean any of my brothers or sisters, but um, when we first got lodge space for the very first time, we weren't sharing it with a Masonic Hall. We got our t- own 24-7 space. I, like, started fighting tooth and nail. I says, now we have this space guys, this is not Animal House fraternity. You need to come and help me clean. You need to help. Let's make this pretty. Let's do stuff with this space now. And I'm not saying that I was alone when I did have lots of men who finally went, oh, yeah, it's not fair that we make the women come and clean up the dishes after us. We can clean dishes. But, you know, it's that people don't, I think part of it is people don't think about those things. Mm -hmm. And the fact that if I just continued to have just cleaned up the lodge and not tell anybody about that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it would have still continued. I'd be cleaning up the lodge by myself to this day. But instead, I got very vocal and said, hey, come help me. And Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it. We need to like, be vocal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and not be afraid mm-hmm. to talk and mm-hmm. all about this. So maybe we
0: should make like titles, like even more titles.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <Maybe so. laughs> because I think, but the danger is, and I, I know I, it, it sounds controversial, but the danger is that we do become the housewives of the OTO who arrange all the conferences, who do all mm-hmm. the paperwork and do all the treasury and do all that, and then that becomes less important.
6: You know, and, but, yeah. but, but I'd like to weigh in on that.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: One of the things that I discovered while I was kind of putting all of this this together, with a, with great help from a, a number of just stellar individuals, mm. is that people actually they want to help. Yeah. Guys, girls, doesn't matter. People want to help, and and people actually um, there is sort of various uh talents there about whether or not they can kind of decide i'm going to do this or i'm going to do that and mostly you got to tell people hey um i need all the baggage carts down here to move all the ritual stuff out of our conference mm-hmm. space
3: Yeah.
6: and so there's there's a, sort of a a need for guidance people want to help mm-hmm. every So in my experience, everybody wants to help. Mm -hmm. But some people help automatically, and some people, um, you know, they need a little bit more prompting, I would say. Encouragement. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, that's (laughs) a nice way to put it. Women are
1: more brought up to be helpers. Mm -hmm. We help with Mm -hmm. family members who are sick and dying in a way that men don't. Okay. Necessarily, yeah. mm-hmm. just well, because we're I'd brought like up to, sh- to do that. I'd like to share
5: my, my story. I was I was raised by a single mother, and she was. I still love her, but she's batshit crazy. And, um, and then I ended up as a single mother, and it's hard. And I'm, and in my professional life, I'm a project manager. Mm. Um, what that boils down to is that I had to be responsible for myself from an early age, and. Um, and I, you know, the, the, the thing with that is that I never felt like a housewife. That would be the worst job ever for me. I mean, any man that I have ever um, had a partnership with can tell you that is absolutely the case. Um, so, so what, you know, what it boils down to is that I can, I, I have some ability to um, see, see details Um, that others might miss I don't know where that comes from I consider it a gift Um, and so so for me I don't think it has anything to do with traditional women's roles Um, so that I will say that that's the case so I really don't know what it is other than women are exceptionally well at perceiving and getting inspiration for joy and beauty.
1: Mm. Yeah, Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But we (laughs) also have to do what what has to get done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And whether we have help or not, we have to do what has to get done. Mm -hmm. And uh, these days, more often than not, we don't have as much help as we need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing I will bring back what Harper and and Nessa have said, that one thing I've
4: noticed in my 32 years now in the OTO, Mm -hmm. that um, you see two Big different classes in the OTR of people. You have the people, and these and these tend to most some of them tend to be new, and some of them tend to be like this. They're like the Man of Earth Triad. They're still trying to figure out their way. They're still trying to figure out what all this is about. And a number of them really want to help. They're just not sure what they can do. And what they need is a strong leader to tell them, hey, look, you've got the skill. It's awesome. You should help me do this. Mm-hmm. And let them run with it. Mm-hmm. And not be afraid if they fail. The best thing about them learning about their failures is, okay, I did it wrong this way, but I've got a whole bunch of new ways how I can do it better next time. Yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, And not be afraid to allow people to fail mm-hmm. and fall on their face. And just be there to help pick them up and say, hey, look, it's okay. We've learned what not to do. We'll Just do it different and do it better next time and let them run again with it. Mm -hmm. And then you have people who are like lovers. They immediately (laughs) see a task. They throw themselves in it headlong and don't even stop to think, I should ask to get help. (laughs) And And every now and then they need to be slowed down and told, hey, um, you really shouldn't be shouldering this all on your own. Mm -hmm. You really should be asking help. Mm -hmm. And those people are what we call hermits. (laughs) (laughs) So just to take it from the three uh, big grades of the OTO, you know, we've got this group. It's just, we're still a young, young order. And we're still trying to figure out how to make all these pieces work. And it's a beautiful experiment. We're all excited, we've got so much energy and love and joy and beauty to put into it, and I think it's never gonna stop. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you know what really refreshes me there? Is that I hear a person who's been a member for 32 years say that, Mm -hmm. and um, you know,
4: Didn't yeah, notice I'm
0: getting teary. i <laughs> just talking about it because it that's still okay. excites me. It, to yeah, this that's day. The thing. It's still exciting. And I've been I've been here for you know 16 years now, and it still excites me as well. And I wouldn't have come back if it didn't excite me. And I wouldn't have come back if I wouldn't have come back if I felt that there was you know an impossible barrier. And the mo- then when I came back and saw we have stuff to do, I just said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's let's jump headlong into this and fix. The things we can change the thing we can't fix uh, you know just let's build this instead of just uh, fully folding in on ourselves And it's, I think it's the great test of the order is going to be in like the next two decades or so whether we we change or whether we stop or whether we grow or whether we disappear into the, you know the history as this weird little cult <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> created by this crazy Englishman you know what 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 will happen with the OTO is very much dependent and very hanging on what is happening now because uh, we are growing and we are sort of coming into puberty where we need to sort of figure some mm-hmm. things out mm-hmm. we are very young and we're still exploring what's the rest way I mean, if we look at the if we look at um, Christianity when they were 100 years old, you know, they were still trying to not get killed by people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, we, we <laughs> have, and they didn't have the liturgy, they didn't mm-hmm. even have the Holy, we're so privileged in that we still have, we, we have our Holy literature mm-hmm. and we, we have our, you know, our basic foundation. We just need to figure out where we're going with it and how we're taking it and how we can evolve it because we're not a stagnant mm-hmm. religion.
5: I think one of the most important things right now is to support children,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
5: mm-hmm. and what, whatever form they come in, and they come in myriad forms in this mm-hmm. aeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. that's like something that's super near and dear to my heart. And mm-hmm. I think that it that that the inspiration that child millennials have is yes. uh, is fantastically amazing and vast and wonderful. So um, you know, support them and give them some opportunities to have experience Absolutely. is, is, a, and is and one way forward their,
0: use that because they ha- they they're the start of something weird and androgynous you know they're <laughs> the start of something weird and unlabeled and i love it and <laughs> you, you kind of just <laughs> want to go yeah how cool is this i i grew up on the cusp i was never one way or the other and i see it unfolding and i think myself lucky to have children who are growing up into this and mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we, w- if we want to grow, we've got to, we've got to really get on board with that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really just an like last next like step. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. We had a young lady who was here with her father at the party, and we were all doing rush. She turned to him after rush was doing. She says, "You need to be teaching me more of this. I want to be <laughs> part oh, of this." Yeah. And that to mm-hmm. me was very exciting. Mm-hmm. And I'll be one of the first ones to met. I'm one of the few bishops. That will take children under the age of 18 and be their first bishop, mm-hmm. um, then allow them to do, uh, work in private masses mm-hmm. and all, and learn. Like I've got, I had a long young lady who was basically 16 years old mm-hmm. who wanted to become a novice deacon, and I said, okay, sweetie. I says, well, tell me why you want it. And he says, I love doing magic. I love doing philema. It's my life. And I says, okay. Well, how well do you know the mass? Mm-hmm she basically had me sit down and recited the entire mass from memory the entire mass the priest, the priestess the deacon she wanted to show me that she knew that and then she went off and rattled off how to do the baptism how to do the confirmation (gasps) how to do a marriage ceremony she was like and then she did a star ruby and a star sapphire in front of me and i'm like Okay, you're in.
0: Right. <laughs> and by the way, you're bishop. <laughs> no,
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I looked at yeah, her and went, okay, you're in, honey. And she was going to start naming off all the Kabbalah uh, columns for me, and I was like, okay, okay you really need to stop
0: now. <laughs> but that's another thing that wow. I've noticed is that we have a greater... Because there's more of us, mm-hmm. there are more children who have more are more intuitive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. More children who are more open to these things and are born, and I hate to use the unique children term, but I really do believe that, I'm sorry, <laughs> I do believe that, I, you know, the generation that's coming is just going to be
1: mind-blowing.
0: But I think, you
1: know, as the youngest mm. person looking around who's here, um, which is not always the case, but, you know, it's it's hard as a younger person to get by in the world as it is now, and young people have to do a hell of a lot more to be able to just get a basic standard of living
3: Mm -hmm. than
1: was maybe required a few decades ago. Mm -hmm. So there's upsides and downsides to that. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of young people who are very determined, who are very focused, who know what they want, put a lot of energy into memorizing stuff because where else are they going to be able to direct that energy to Mm -hmm. get a productive type of, you know, life? Mm -hmm. So they're directing it towards other ends. Mm -hmm. You know, that's 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 what I see from my point of view, but... Um, you know it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the next generation struggles with the challenges of just getting by yeah
0: and i think that struggle that challenge also creates a lot more natural magicians mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know who really have to drill down to mm-hmm. their wills and be focused and mm-hmm. sharp at what they want
1: mm-hmm. because
0: otherwise they just drown in this like this noise.
1: I hope that they don't fall into despair. I think it's Mm. very easy in the world that we live in now for younger people to fall into despair, and Mm. I hope that they use the grit that they've acquired through just trying Mm. to survive to get where they want to go as humans and as magicians. Yeah, absolutely.
6: They seem to have a different target. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm probably one of the older people in the group, and... I would say that the target for my my demographic is largely um, gain, right? The, speaking out of a consumerist sort of background, but the younger people of today they they're not they're not so interested in that, you know. Mm. They recognize um, money as a tool and a resource, but they recognize on a gut level that there are different goals that are much more important to them than having a big house and, and a Mercedes yeah
3: mm-hmm.
6: yeah. that's good oh mm-hmm. like it it's happening. totally refreshing yeah.
5: yeah my stepdaughter said uh, she put it really well she said you know what we were given a frankly fucked set of um, conditions to live in mm-hmm. and she said that all of her friends basically have this attitude of what do I have to lose? And they mm-hmm. go for their will mm-hmm. as a generation, mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. seeing that happen, and it's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. The one thing that's really hard for them to come by is experience because mm-hmm. in, in this day and age, we all work so hard, yeah. and we're all so busy, and just taking mm-hmm. some time to give them some experience is what they need mm-hmm. and crave. Mm-hmm. And what I love about, well, love, uh, what the, uh, an upside to that is that they could either stay at home
0: with their parents and not work, or they and still have no money. Or they could just get a backpack on and go out and travel and still have no money, but at least they're doing something. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. could work an unpaid internship, or they could go to China and help children learn to read. You know, it's it's like
3: mm-hmm.
0: they they have a choice out of out of poverty. <laughs> you know, out, mm-hmm. of, out of out of lack of opportunity, they have. Uh, a future that is far more focused on humanity and focused on realizing themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we're gonna draw this to a close. I just wanna say thank you so much for everybody for being here and Mm -hmm. creating this amazing, amazing Mm -hmm. opportunity. And thank you for Mm -hmm. organizing this. It's been brilliant. Thank you for uh, creating an opportunity for me to come over here. Um, Mm -hmm. I love doing Karasora live. This is all doing it in person. It's great. Um, uh, yeah.
1: We've got a five-pointed um, star uh, here. Yeah, we, we do. do. <laughs> oh, wow. With the circle in the middle, which is a microphone. Thank you for traveling, yes. Thank you so much
4: for coming. Mm. Uh, just to let you guys know, the young girl who is 16, she has since became 18 years old oh. she attended her first noticon last year oh. because she had just taken her minerva just oh. a few I, months before i know That's who you're great. talking about and she
5: is so cool <laughs>
4: yeah <laughs> she is <That's laughs> So, cool. That's so, so.
5: Awesome.
0: yeah thank you guys thank, thank, thank you, you thank you um, and uh love is the law love in the world Our fifth episode. We will be back again at the winter solstice. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, spread the word, and go to patreon.com forward slash stooping starlight if you'd like to support our podcast. Love is the law,
3: love and the will.